Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people. And now our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with them went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but, urged, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us in the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? And they rose that very same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered around them, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Great to see your faces. It really is. It's been a long time. Um, I want to start this morning uh, by asking you, I wonder how you'd finish this sentence. I'll never forget the time I met. I wonder how you'd finish that. I'll never forget the time I met. All the wives are giving their husbands a wee nudge saying, you better be thinking about me. Um, Maybe it's a lifelong hero, maybe a sporting hero, uh, someone in music. Maybe it's your son or daughter. You'll never forget the first time that you met them, that you held them in your arms. These are moments which change our lives forever. Moments that are etched into our memory. And as I wrote this, and as I reflected on Luke 24, just this incredible passage, the whole thing is amazing. I was thinking about Luke, who would have been writing all these things down. It says in chapter one of Luke's gospel that what Luke has done is he has gone around and he's interviewed all of the eyewitnesses, 
all those people who were there, who witnessed and saw all that happened in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's written an orderly account so that we will have certainty that he's telling the truth. Because he's cross-referenced it all. He's gone away and studied all the details. And I was thinking about this. Imagine Luke going and speaking to these men. Imagine it. Him tracking them down and him asking them as he sat with his notepad, saying, tell me exactly what happened on the Emmaus Road. And you can imagine the two disciples. We know one of them was called Cleopas. We don't know very much else about them. But you can imagine them looking at each other, a smile starting to break across their faces. And Cleopas saying to Luke, I'll never forget the time I met the risen Lord Jesus. It changed my life forever. The truth is there is no encounter in life which is more life-changing, more life-altering than meeting the risen Lord Jesus. This passage shows us that everything changes because Jesus Christ is alive. Our purpose, our passion, our perspective on life our hope for the future, all of it changes when we realize that Jesus Christ is risen. If you're a Christian this morning, this might be a familiar passage to you, but I want this to be a morning where we go back, back to that time in your life when, like these men, you met the risen Lord Jesus for the first time. You maybe don't remember the exact moment, but you know that your life has always been different because Jesus Christ is alive. I want you to revel in that this morning, to remember and rejoice in that. And if you're not someone who believes in the Lord Jesus, well, I pray that today, this day, would be be the day that you come face to face with the risen Lord Jesus, when you meet him for the first time. Or today would maybe be the start of your journey on that Emmaus road to discovering the Lord Jesus for yourself. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I love it. I love it for lots of reasons. One being because of the humor in it. There's irony. There's, it's just a great story. It's a passage that we can relate to as humans so well. Um, and it's one that because we are familiar with it, we might skip uh, to the end and kind of gloss over the details. But I want us to slow down and I want us this morning to imagine that we are walking this road with these two disciples. So keep your Bibles open. We're going to just go through it and just let Luke, in the the wonderful way he does, just tell us this story and draw us in. So these are two pretty unknown disciples. They're walking a physical journey, though, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And that was about a seven-mile journey. And it starts in verse 13 with that very day. So this is the same day that the women have been to the tomb. They've seen that the tomb is empty. They've seen a vision of of two angels who've claimed that the Lord Jesus is alive. And we can assume that when the women came back, these disciples were part of that wider group who heard them tell what they'd seen, but they didn't believe them. It says in verse 11, if you go back, that they thought what the women said was an idle tale. And these two disciples, as they walk away from Jerusalem, we see their mood They're confused, they're dejected, their hopes and dreams are in tatters. 
Seven days previously, they'd come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And the mood was high. Optimism was in the air. Jesus had been welcomed into the city with a great crowd, people cheering, waving palm branches. We saw that last week. These two disciples, they probably would have been there seeing Jesus clear out the temple courts, thinking surely he is the one, the one that the prophets have all been speaking about, the one who's going to rescue the nation of Israel, throw off the oppression to Rome, restore Israel to its rightful place among the nations. At last, the Messiah, the King, he's come. Verse 21 tells us this is what these men were hoping for. But all that hope and all that promise has seemingly just evaporated overnight. The kingdom hadn't even got going yet and it was cruelly snuffed out because the king was dead. Jesus was dead and buried. And as they walk away from Jerusalem, they walk this hopeless road. They shudder as they recall the events that he witnessed at the crucifixion. These are the things that they're discussing as they walk, leaving all their dreams and their hopes behind. And I'm sure they were thinking, how could we have got this guy, Jesus Christ, so wrong? I wonder if that's ever happened to you. You pin your hopes in someone. You believe there's someone, but it turns out that they weren't. They weren't what you were expecting or hoping for. We see a man draw alongside these two in their journey, and we know as we read that it's Jesus Christ, but they didn't. It says in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't realize that it was Jesus. And this apparent stranger to them, he walks with them for a bit, and he listens in. And then he asks in verse 17, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Both of you stop. You look at each other. Is this guy for real? Has he been living in a cave? You don't know what's happened. You must be the only person around that doesn't. This is world news, the talk of the town. And you can't hide the pain. You can't hide the sadness. It's written all over your face. And it's Cleopas who answers him. And he says these words, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You know when someone is forever remembered for a, a ridiculous thing that they said? The people who see them, they always remind them of it. Remember when you said that? Or people who don't even know them but meet them for the first time, they say, you're that guy that said this, aren't you? Well, that is Cleopas for the rest of his life because what he says to Jesus here is absolutely brilliant. The irony of it. Jesus is the only person in Jerusalem, the only person in the world, in fact, who knows the things that have happened there in these days. And Jesus, though, he just continues to play along. It's brilliant. What things, he asks. And Cleopas, trying not to sound too exasperated, he spells out all the facts. Verse 19. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And as if things couldn't get any worse, some women of our company amazed us this morning. 
They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. These disciples have got it all wrong. They've completely missed the point. Like everyone else in Jerusalem, like everyone else in Luke 24, these men were not expecting a resurrection. Even though they really should have been. Because for starters, Jesus had told his disciples many times that it was necessary for him to die and that three days later he would rise to life again. Six times, actually, in Luke's gospel, he predicted his death and resurrection. And the second reason they should have known or been expecting a resurrection that morning was because of what Jesus says to them in verse 25. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Wasn't this always what God promised? Wasn't this what the whole of the Old Testament scriptures were pointing towards this moment? The fact that Jesus' death and resurrection was the very means by which God would rescue and redeem Israel, his people. The sinless son of God dying in the place of sinful humanity. But then rising to life again in glory, victorious over sin and death. This was always the plan. And so Jesus says... Or in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, this is what Jesus does. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The most amazing Bible overview you could ever imagine. Imagine it. Jesus Christ, he walks them through the pages of scripture and shows them how this has always been the way. This has always been what's promised. It says they arrived at the village they were going to and Jesus acts as if he was heading on further than them. But these two men, they are gripped by this man. And so in verse 29, they urged him strongly to stay with us for a while for it was towards evening and the day was now far spent. Jesus agrees. And you can imagine the conversation continuing as they sat down for the meal together, asking him more questions. And in verse 30, here is the moment the moment when everything changes, the moment they will never forget. It says that Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And we don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was his mannerisms. They'd seen him do this many times before. Maybe they caught a glimpse of the nail marks in his hands. But whatever it was, verse 31 tells us, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in that moment. Can you imagine it? I just imagine the two of them, their faces. You know uh, the gifts that you get, the shocked gifts? Type it into WhatsApp. The one kind of from Parks and Rec, Andy Dwyer, if you know who that is, him turning like this. That kind of one. That's what I imagine them looking like. Thinking to each other, "How, how did we not recognize him sooner? How did we not know it was him? Gobsmacked, stunned. And your mind goes back to the road and you say to each other, verse 32, did you feel it too? Was your heart burning inside your chest when he talked with us in the road and when he opened the scriptures to us? And even though it's evening and even though it's a seven mile journey back to Jerusalem, you hot step it back 
You cannot contain your excitement and joy. You have to tell the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. The women were right. He is risen and you have seen him. You have believed it is the truth. It is just an incredible story, isn't it? And the reason I read it like this is because I want us just to be able to understand just how incredible it is, the the transformation in these guys' lives from the start to the end. Two observations I want to make this morning, and then a question I want to ask you and leave you with on this resurrection morning. Here's the first observation. Look how hopeless life is without the risen Lord Jesus. Look how hopeless life is without the risen Lord Jesus. Come back with me to the start and look at these disciples when they believe that Jesus Christ is dead and buried. He's gone. They're confused. They're dejected. They're hopeless. They are literally walking away from hope. Why? It was because of death. The reality is, if Jesus Christ isn't risen, if he is still dead and buried, then we are all hopeless in the face of death. None of us have an answer to death. Death, we sang it in that song, it's our great opponent, the great equalizer in our world. It doesn't care who you are. It's the one thing that none of us can escape or avoid. And there is a finality to death which makes us reassess our lives. Death sits us down and says, tell me what you're really living for. The famous Russian author, Leo Tolstoy, wrote a book called Confession about his own searching for meaning in life. And he says this at one point. My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions. Lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live, it was, what will come of what I am doing today and tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Maybe that's quite an extreme version of something that's flashed across your mind this last year, maybe once before in your life. This last year as our lives have come to a standstill, as all our insecurities have been laid bare, as we've come maybe face to face with our own mortality, the reality that death comes to all of us, maybe you've questioned what you're really living for. Maybe like Tolstoy, you're wondering, what will come of my whole life? Is this life all there really is? We live, we die, and that's it? Meaningless, hopeless, what's the point? But the resurrection of Jesus Christ says there is meaning to life. There is meaning to your life. There is hope in life. Hope even in the face of death. But our hope in life and our purpose and our meaning are only found when we meet the risen Lord Jesus. Only found in seeing and believing in him. And that's the second observation that we have here. Life changes forever through meeting the risen Lord Jesus. 
Everything changes with these men when they see and they believe that Jesus Christ really is alive. Look at the drastic change. Hearts burning with joy as the truth and the reality of the gospel becomes alive to them. Their lives reinvigorated, renewed with purpose and meaning again. They now live with a sure and certain hope for the future, hope of life beyond the grave. Death is not the end because Jesus Christ is alive. And his resurrection guarantees that the powers of sin and death are done. They have been defeated forever. Death doesn't have the final say in life. Jesus Christ does. And because he lives, we know that for all those who trust in his death and resurrection, we too will live with him forever in eternity. What a hope we have. Because he lives, those friends or family members that we have laid to rest in the Lord, they have only gone to sleep because they will be raised up like us with new bodies, perfected bodies when Jesus Christ returns. Bodies that are free, free from the effects of sin, of suffering, of sickness, of pain. Bodies which are new, restored, redeemed. This is our resurrection hope. Everything changes in life when we meet the risen Lord Jesus. A life change in life transforming moment. And I want us to look this morning at how the risen Lord Jesus reveals himself to these two men, how he changes their perspective and how he shows them that he's really alive. Look at verse 15. It starts there. Jesus draws near. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus is the one who takes the initiative here. He's the one who comes to them and meets them where they're at in their hopelessness, in their confusion, in their unbelief. And I just think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus Christ drawing near to us in the hopelessness of our sin. Because the reality is, as we have seen, we are all walking a hopeless road, just like these men. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and there is nothing that we can do about it. We are facing the prospect of eternal death and eternal separation from God forever because of our sins. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes to us to rescue us. He left the glory of heaven and he came to this earth. He lived as a man here. He died a death on the cross, a horrible, painful death on the cross, even though he didn't deserve it at all. For us, for you and me, to save us from our sins. The sinless son of God stood in our place, bore the wrath and punishment that we deserve. And then, then he rose to life again three days later, proving that sin and death are done and he is victorious. He offers eternal life to all who put their trust in him. And it's not just that Jesus draws near to us for a time. And then when he ascended to heaven, as we see at the end of Luke 24, that was him done with us. He said, you know what, I've I've done what I can do for you. Now you do the rest until I come back. No, it's not like that at all. Because the, the truth is, because Jesus Christ is alive, 
He's alive still today. Alive today in heaven, seated at the right hand of his Father. Hebrews 7, we've been studying Hebrews over this last while, and Hebrews 7, 25 tells us that because Jesus Christ lives today, he ever lives to intercede for us. Ever lives to draw near to us by his Spirit. The resurrected power that that brought Jesus back to life again lives inside each one of us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus draws near to us, reminding us of his goodness and grace when we're going through times of suffering and trial, strengthening us when we're feeling weak and doubting, giving us the wisdom and the words and the boldness when we speak to others about the hope we have in Jesus. Jesus might even be drawing near to you right now as you sit in your seat, impressing upon you an awareness of your deep need for a savior. Jesus draws near to these men. And then secondly, Jesus reveals himself in the scriptures. Look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus covered here in this Bible overview, but you can only imagine. Unbelievable, incredible. Imagine where he would have taken them. It says that he started right at the beginning. Moses, Genesis. That's where he started. And we can assume that he showed them how he, he is the promised serpent crusher in Genesis 3. How he is the sacrificial lamb of the Passover. How he is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. How he's the promised eternal king from the line of David. The one that's talked about so much in the Psalms. How he's the pierced one of Zechariah 12. Jesus Christ walks them through the entire Old Testament scriptures, page by page, and he shows them how he fulfills it all. Every page, every story whispering his name as the children's storybook Bible says. Jesus transformed their thinking. He renewed their minds. He changed their perspective. And it shows us that this is still possible for you and me today. Because as we read God's word, as we see and understand that the whole overarching message of the Bible is about Jesus Christ, God's promised Messiah, who lived and died and rose again to be our Savior and King, Jesus comes to us and reveals himself to us. We meet the risen Lord Jesus in his word. We are transformed. Our minds are renewed. But there is one more step that needs to happen. Because we see in our passage that even understanding the scriptures, reading the scriptures isn't enough here. The problem these men had wasn't an intellectual one. It was a spiritual one. They were spiritually blind, blinded from the truth, unable to see the truth until God opened their blind eyes. There's an interesting moment that happens in verse 28 and 29. Look, look at it with me for a moment. So they drew near to the village to where they were going and Jesus acted as if he was going on further. I wondered as I was preparing this, why did Jesus do that? Why did he act like he was going on? Well, I think it shows us something very significant about Jesus Christ. He draws alongside these men. He speaks words of truth and life to them. 
but he doesn't force himself on them. He waits for them to invite him in. Verse 29 says, they urged him strongly to come in and stay with them. And I think this shows us something about the way Jesus Christ works in our lives too. Because when we have a genuine, heartfelt desire for Jesus Christ to come into our life, to take up residence in our heart, when we truly want him to change us, to reveal himself as the risen Savior and King, Jesus never withholds himself from us. And in verse 30 and 31, the eyes that in verse 16 were kept from seeing Jesus Christ, they are finally opened. The hearts that were slow to believe, as Jesus said in verse 25, are hearts that now burn with the truth of the gospel. At last they see Jesus. At last they see and believe in him for who he really is. Not some powerful prophet, but the sin-bearing, sacrificial savior of the world. That's who Jesus Christ is. And what this shows us is that salvation is a work that God can do alone. None of us can conjure up this in our own hearts. We need God to open our blind eyes and we need God to thrill our hearts with the truth of the gospel. Jesus draws near. He reveals the truth about himself in the scriptures. Their blind eyes are opened and their lives are transformed forever. And here's the question I want to leave us with as we finish. Leave you with today on this resurrection Sunday. Have you met the risen Lord Jesus? Have you come to see and believe that Jesus Christ really is alive? Maybe Jesus is drawn near to you right now by the power of his spirit. He's speaking to you through the pages of scripture, calling you and drawing you to himself, revealing the truth that he is alive. I pray, I pray that you would invite him in. Welcome him into your lives. Ask that he would open your eyes to the truth and wonder of the gospel today. That Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth to die for you to rescue you from the tyranny of sin and death forever, to rid you of the guilt and shame of your sin and to offer forgiveness to you. And he rose to life again three days later to give you the hope, the sure and certain hope forever that you too will one day rise to life again to live with him, your savior, forever in heaven. Meeting the risen Lord Jesus changes our lives forever. There are people around this room who are testament to that. We're not perfect. We're not going to have the perfect life either. We're still going to have struggles and suffering. We're still going to have times where life isn't easy. That's not what Jesus Christ offers to us. What he offers is himself, his peace, his joy in and through all of those circumstances. He offers himself, which gives us true meaning and purpose in life. And he offers us himself, which guarantees our eternal future. And if you have met the risen Lord Jesus, 
if you've trusted in his death and resurrection, then I pray that your response today would be the same as these two men. Verse 32, I pray that your heart would burn within you again today as you revel in the truth of the gospel, as it thrills your heart to know that Jesus is alive, overjoyed by that truth, filled with the hope of the prospect of life with him forever. And as we remember that and rejoice in that, let's also realize that we've got a job to do because we have the most incredible, life-changing news to take to a world out there that is dying and desperately needs to hear it. We need to encourage others to see the risen Lord Jesus. We need to help them experience life with him, not life without him. The hope of life with him, not the hopelessness of life without That's what we see of of these men in this passage at the end. It's what we see right throughout the book of Luke at the end here in verse 24. And what we see right throughout the book of Acts, Luke's sequel. Men and women who could not stop themselves from sharing the truth of the gospel with others. Their hearts on fire for Jesus. Convinced that he was alive. Completely transformed by meeting him and empowered by his spirit to go and to tell that message, that good news to others. And so the question I want to leave you with if you're a Christian this morning is this. On this resurrection morning, will the good news that Jesus Christ is alive stop with you or will it spread through you? Will it stop with you or will it spread through you? Will you share this incredible life-transforming news of the resurrection today, this week, why don't you start with something like this? Let me tell you about the time I met the risen Lord Jesus. I will never forget it. Meeting him has completely changed my life forever. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we can read of and that we can rejoice in. Lord, thank you that in your sovereign plans and purposes, you promised that you would send your son Jesus Christ into this world, the sinless son of God, to come and to stand in our place, to die on our behalf, to offer us the way to be brought back into relationship with you again so that we have the hope of eternity with you forever. Lord, we're sorry when our hearts are not thrilled by that truth and that prospect of life with Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would, today by your spirit, as we've read your word and and rested in the truth of the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts. Lord, I pray you would empower us by your spirit to go and to share this news with a world that needs to hear it. There's so many people in our lives, Lord, so many people on the streets around us here today who today is no different. It will feel no different. It maybe will feel only like another hopeless day. Lord, it's not the truth. It's only the truth 
if people do not come and see that Jesus Christ is alive and they don't meet the risen Lord Jesus. Lord, you use us in your sovereign plans and purposes and your wisdom. You use us to go and to deliver this message to those who need to hear it. Lord, please use us to draw people to yourself. Speak words of life through us. Help us to love and serve others in a way that shows the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ to them. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who is listening and has not yet put their trust in Jesus, has not yet met the risen Lord Jesus, I pray that today, today would be the day. Today would be the day of salvation. Lord, lift the veil off their eyes. Open their blind eyes to the truth of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that they'll invite Jesus Christ into their life, into their heart forever. They'll ask you to change them, to change their desires, to change their, uh, all the things that they're living for. Lord, to, to show them that the guilt and shame of their sin is gone because Jesus Christ has paid the price for it. Lord, work in all of us the way only you can do. Show us once again that we are desperately in need of a saviour in Jesus, but that we have been given a saviour in Jesus, one who lives forever, who continually and forevermore lives to intercede for us. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy. And we pray all these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen.